This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1 this morning, if you would. We're continuing our series entitled, Romans. (laughs) Super creative, right? Romans. Uh, Just verse by verse uh, through the book of Romans. Uh, We we started two weeks ago in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. Today, we will uh, finish up Romans chapter 1, verse number 5. And so it's uh, 16 chapters in the book of Romans. We're going to be here for a while, but we're just going to go verse by verse, and we're just going to say what the Bible says. And so I know as we do that, you'll be helped by it. I'm discouraged sometimes when I hear people preach through the book of Romans because they're like, oh, we want to get through these first introductory thoughts, and then we'll get down to the really good stuff in Romans. First of all, it's all really good. Second of all, if if you just consider verse 5 an introductory verse, you're missing out on the power of the Word of God. And so we'll take a look at that today. Uh, We'll just get through one verse today, and we'll take a look at uh, some of the rest of the context of it next week, uh, and then continue to plow through this book. This has been really good. If you have the Hui Kala app on your mobile device, um, you can click on today's message, click on fill in notes. It's going to bring up a web browser where you're going to be able to take a look at all the things I'm going to say, uh, along with all the verses uh, for every single one of these uh, that we take a look at. Or otherwise, just grab a sheet of paper and jot down some notes. But I'd encourage you to get the Hui Kala app. Uh, that way you can get caught up on past messages you might have missed and stay engaged in what we got going on here. Romans chapter 1. Oh, I'm in the wrong. Uh, Romans chapter 1. There we go. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 1, we're going to read through verse number 7, but pay close attention to verse number 5. That's kind of going to be where we're going to be spending our time today. (laughs) Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets concerning the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be at Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We take a look at life One of the great, deep, philosophical questions of all time is, what is the meaning of life? As if it's this strange thing that no one could ever possibly discover. And even Christians sometimes live with a a searching for a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning in some way. And there has to be something more to what we see, and there's got to be something deeper. Why are we all here and if, if I didn't have the Bible, and you and I didn't have the Bible, and if we didn't have faith and something to kind of hang our hat on, life would be just kind of all over the place, wouldn't it? Like whatever makes you happy, whatever floats your boat, whatever gets you excited, man, pour your life into that, and maybe you'll find something meaningful in that. Sometimes in discussing my faith with uh, people, I'll, I'll share the gospel with them and talk about Jesus and talk about what I found in Christ. And sometimes people say, again, very kind things. They'll say things like, well, I'm glad you found something that works for you. Um, that's not for me, though. And I always think to myself when they say that, no, this is not for me. It's actually for everybody. This is not something that just was good, a good fit for me, like, uh, oh, I like my steaks well done. 
like if, if it's like crispy on the top, that's even better. Uh, my wife says it's called burnt meat, but I, I think well done, you know. And so sometimes people are like, oh, you know, you like your meat well done. That's fine. That's good for you. It's not good for me. But here, Jesus is good for everybody. And it's not a matter of like uh, uh, what you think or what I think or any of that. It's about what does God want from us? What does God expect from us? And Paul, as he, as he goes through just this verse 5 again, which it hurts my heart when people say, oh, it's just kind of Paul's introductory thoughts. There's so much deep Bible truth in just this one verse that we're going to unpack this morning. And I want you to, to go along on the journey with me. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot a few thoughts down as we go through this passage. First of all, you and I are saved by the grace of God. Verse number one, as we get into it, by whom we have received grace. When we talk about the word grace, we're talking about God's unmerited, undeserved favor. If at any point you and I have to add something to something, it's not grace, for example, our salvation. If we have to add anything on top of what's already been done, it's no longer grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. God gives because he's gracious. For example, today we gave some gifts to moms today. Now, if we were to take a look at that and we would say, are those truly gifts that we gave? First of all, uh, were there strings attached to those gifts that were given? If so, they weren't given by grace. So, first of all, did any guys get called up to receive gifts today? No. Uh, you know why? Because it wasn't for you today. So he, first of all, you have to be a woman. Second of all, you got to have children. That makes you a mother and makes you worthy for, now, not a gift, but recognition. You see, there's strings attached to that. And so it's not a matter of, of we gave by grace to anyone who would receive. If I gave out massages by grace today, I'd hand them out to anybody that wanted them, guy, girl, kid, uh, doesn't matter, because that would be uh, grace that's how God gives. He gives to anyone who would receive. No stipulations, no qualifications. Anyone who wants can receive the grace of God. But sometimes people get it sideways and they think to themselves like, oh, well, God's grace is only available for those that work for it or do certain things to get it. And we need to understand from the get-go, and we'll, we'll dive back, we'll circle back to this 101 times as we go through the book of Romans, that we are not saved by our own works. We're just not. And the moment that you add your works to God's grace, it's no longer God's grace. You and I are saved. Saved from what? First of all, we're saved from our sin, that's for sure. The Bible says that you and I have sinned against God not just once or twice, but uh, again and again. Our problem is not an attitude problem or, or a situational problem or circumstantial problem. Our problem is a heart problem, and the problem is sin. It's, it's the thing that has ruined everything in this world that we live in today is sin. And so as we look at that, we think to ourselves, well, we need to fix that. But you and I try as we might, we can't fix it on our own. Again, we try to do better. We try to work harder. We try to be better. We try to turn over a new leaf and make these changes and things like that. But we continue to go back to our sin. Why? Because we don't have power over our sin. Our sin has power over us. That's the problem. And so we need to be saved from, first of all, the power of our sin. Secondly, we need to be saved from the consequences of our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when it says death, it's not talking about just a physical death. It's talking about you're going to die one day and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. This is the second death, according to Revelation chapter 20. And so we're going to die one day and go to hell. And here's the worst part. That's what we deserve. 
I deserve it because I haven't been good enough to earn heaven. I've broken God's law, and if breaking God's law means going to hell, then I'm 100% guilty, and you are too. And so we need to be saved from the penalty of our sin. But then I think one of the things that sometimes gets neglected when we think about being saved is that being saved now saves us from a purposeless, meandering lifestyle. We now, once we become children of God, we should have laser beam focus on exactly what it is that we're supposed to accomplish. And Paul had that, and he pours it out in, this, in just this one verse here. But when we think about adding to our salvation our works, I shared the gospel with a man that I went to the gym with uh, several years ago. His name was James. Never forget as long as I live. James and his wife had come to our church for a couple of times, and uh, they come around Christmas time, and afterwards we were decorating for Christmas. He asked if he could stay and help, and he said, I said, sure. And so we decorated the window out in the lobby, and we're out there talking, and I said, hey, James, tell me about your church background. And he was like, man, uh, I'm from Boston, and our family is like Catholic, Catholic. And I was just like, what does it mean to be double Catholic? <laughs> like Catholic, Catholic. He was like, like if, if there's something Catholic, that's us. And he said, I went to a Catholic uh, elementary school, Catholic middle school, Catholic high school. I went to a Catholic college. Uh, I was an altar boy. Like, we never missed mass, like ever, ever, ever. And I said, how's that working out for you? He goes, man, you know, as I become an adult, I look back at that. And first of all, none of it makes sense to me. And second of all, I think there's got to be something more to this than just showing up once a week, right? I go, right, yeah, for sure. And I said, if you died today, do you think you'd go to heaven? He's like, oh, I definitely wouldn't. He's like, I mean, I haven't, I can't remember the last time I went to confession. You know, I, I can't remember the last time I went to mass. Like, I'm, I'm totally not going to make it to heaven. And I said, what if it wasn't about church attendance or religious acts that you did? What if it was easier than that? And he's like, what do you mean? I had the opportunity to sit down with, with James in the, the lobby here and go through the gospel. And like he's sitting there going like, wow. I'm opening the scriptures and I'm, hey, read this verse. And he's reading it aloud. I'm bringing to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which is a verse you should have committed to memory and know it. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I showed him, hey, it's not by the works that we've done that we're saved. God gives us a gift. And he was like, I just, I can't wrap my brain around that. Like, like. Like, I don't ever have to go back to church and be, I can still be saved. That doesn't even make sense. And I said, it's like this, James, and I, I use this example time and time again with people all the time when I talk about the gospel and the gift of the gospel. I have a, a Kershaw knife here that was given to me by a really good friend for Christmas. And uh, I said, if I gave you this knife here, and I said, here's a gift that I'm giving you, but you have to come to Mass 52 times a week or you have to turn it back in. Is that really a gift? And he's like, no, it's not a gift because there's strings attached to it. Right. I'm going to give you this gift, but you have to come to confession once a week. Is it a gift? He's like, no, I'm, I'm working for it then at that point. Right, right. Hey, I'm going to give you this, but I need you to give me $100 in return for it. Well, now I'm buying it. And I said, any of those things that you do, you get a little bit of extra credit because you did your part, right? He goes, yeah. That's what this verse is saying. It's a gift. But if I give you this gift because I'm gracious, I give it to you, you can receive it with no strings attached and do with it whatever you want. That's a gift, and it's given by grace. And I don't give you this gift because I like you or because you're a cool dude or you come from a good family. or anything. That would be partiality. That would be based on your merit. And then you have reason to brag or boast. But if it's truly by grace, then we have no space to brag or boast. 
This is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's the thing. If it's based on church attendance, in the last eight and a half years, here we call, will be nine in October. Last nine years, I've missed five Sunday mornings in the history of our church. Five in, in, nine, in almost nine years. So if we're comparing church attendance, try me. Try, right? I would love to see how close you come or if you could beat me. But if we're looking on merit, I might be able to get you. Uh, you might have more days strung together of Bible reading than me. You might have more hours in your prayer log of hours that you prayed more than me. And if it's of those things, then we get to puff out our chest and say, look at what I've done. Look at all I've accomplished. But if it's a matter of like, I couldn't save myself if I wanted to. I could be baptized in every body of water in the world and it would not save me. I am a wretched, pathetic sinner in whom there is nothing good whatsoever and I am deeply in need of God's forgiveness and grace. I think all of us would be able to say, yeah, me too, me too. That's where God's salvation meets us. If you think that you can earn God's salvation, you can't get it. If you're working your way to heaven, you'll never make it there. If you're trying as you might to be saved, it's not of any works that you can do and you're going to fail 100% of the time. You see, the only thing that you and I can bring to our salvation is our sin, our faith, and our repentance. Those are the only thing, three things that God wants from you. Oh, I'm a really good person. Actually, you're not. Oh, I do a lot of really religious stuff. God's not impressed with that. Oh, but I try to do good for other people. That cannot erase the wrong that you've done. And if they talk to James, he, he did not get saved. Uh, I still pray for him every time that I think about him. I pray to be saved. That was probably three years ago. And I think of, of that, he said to me, I cannot wrap my head around the fact that I don't get to do something to be saved. I just want to do my part. You can't do your part. Your only part is to bring your sin to Jesus and lay it down at the foot of the cross. To be willing to confess Jesus Christ as Lord by faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. And be willing to repent from your sins. I'm sorry, I want to change. That's the only thing that God needs from you. Again, the wages of sin is not church attendance. The Bible says, it doesn't say that the wages of sin is baptism. The Bible doesn't say that the wages of sin is good works or confession or sacraments or anything like that. The wages of sin is death. Either you die or you put your faith in someone who died for you, but somebody's got to die, bottom line. And so, what does God need from you? He needs your faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me today. If you would confess that to Jesus, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, the Bible says you can be saved today. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to talk to a pastor. We don't have to call you up to the front. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to read the Bible from cover to cover. You just have to believe by faith. Well, how is it that easy? Because God is gracious. He's not giving you salvation based on your merit or how good you are. He's doing it because he is a God of grace. And so, again, well, what's my part? You have no part in salvation apart from faith. And when you and I try to add works to our salvation, we deny the power of Jesus' sacrifice. 
look, if being a good person saved you, then why did Jesus have to die? If you can do good to make up for all the wrong that you've done, why did Jesus die? What a meaningless death if you could save you. If, if you have to be baptized to also go to heaven, then why did Jesus have to die? When he said, it is finished, he didn't really mean that. He meant, it's finished after you get baptized? What? That doesn't even make sense. Is Jesus Christ enough? If he is, his sacrifice was complete for your sins. You don't have anything to add. You don't have any merit. You don't have a leg to stand on. And again, when we believe that you know, God got a good deal the day that he saved me, you don't understand how the gospel works. God didn't save you because there was something lovable in you. God didn't save you because you're so good and what a gift you're going to be to, to his kingdom. God saved you because he is gracious. And we cannot add to the work of Jesus Christ. So Paul says in this passage, verse number five, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations. So we've received grace and apostleship. The word apostleship is a unique word. When we think of it, our minds are immediately drawn to the word apostle because Paul was an apostle. He tells us that in verse number one. Apostle was one of 14 men that we find in Scripture that were uniquely ordained by Jesus himself uh, to walk with him, that were taught directly by him for the sake of the ministry to lay the foundation of the church. I said last week that there were 14 apostles, the 12 original, Judas killed himself, Matthias uh, was the 13th apostle, then Paul, an apostle born out of two time, but then, no lie, I was reading my Bible this week and I was in the book of Hebrews, and they said, Jesus Christ, an apostle, capital A apostle, I was like, I think we got 15 apostles here, folks. And so I wanted to correct that this week, that the 15th apostle is Christ himself. And so uh, it's amazing how you read through the Bible and you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, how many of you have ever re- like read a verse before and you're like, I've never read that before in my life. Like you've read the, for me, I've read the Bible through, two, man, two dozen times at least. And I came to that verse, I was like, I've never read this verse before. It's like, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just kind of like shines a light on stuff as you read the Bible. But Jesus Christ was an apostle. Now, if we think about apostleship in those terms, I told you last week, 100% of the people that call themselves apostles are false teachers, 100%. And if you go to a church that's an apostolic church, they're not talking about the, the works of the apostle. They're typically talking about supernatural sign gifts, and they're not talking about the gospel, that's for sure. So with that being said, what does Paul mean when he says that God has given us, speaking to the church inclusively, the gift of apostleship? The word apostle comes down to just being a messenger, that's what the word literally means, apostle, messenger. So we could look at that and say that Paul's calling all of us to be apostles in the apostolic sense, which we would disagree with, or Paul's calling all, all of us to be messengers, which I think is a little bit more biblical. And so we're saved by grace, and we're saved to be messengers. How about that? So again, who we received grace and apostleship. So, so okay, what's the message? The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what message do we have to bring that we're messengers for? We tell of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for sinners. That Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. That Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life and was crucified. And three days later arose of his own power, proving victory over sin, death, and the grave. His sacrifice on the cross was covering for the sins of the entire world. And anyone that would come to Jesus through faith and repentance can be born again. That's the gospel. 
That's our message. So what happens when we get away from the message? Then we've lost the mission. Five different times Jesus is quoted as giving us this great commission. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. But you, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always until the end of the world. Amen. That's the commission that Jesus gave to his church. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't like, hey guys, before I go, I got a couple of good thoughts that I think I would give you. And it is interesting that, that even in our society today that is pagan as pagan can be, we put a lot of emphasis on like last words, don't we? Like when we watch a movie, you know, he's like, the guy's dying and the woman's laying over him, she's crying, he squeezes out like, it was you, it was always you. And like, eyes roll in the back of his head and he closes his eyes. She's like, oh, it was always me. You know, last words, it's like, oh, that was so deep, you know. <laughs> okay, what were Jesus' last words? Go, when, baptize, teach. Even in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, the Acts account of, of, of Christ's great commission and then his ascension into heaven after the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the Bible says, he ascended into heaven. And then here's what I love. They're like, okay, was that it? And then the angel actually says to him, why are you standing here looking into the clouds? He's gone. He told you what to do. Like, go, get to work. Like, he told you what to do. Like, what are you looking at me for? Go. It's kind of interesting because like, oh, okay. That, that's really what he wants us to do. Yes. Every single person on planet Earth about Jesus Christ, that's the message that we have is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. We're going to, again, circle back to this a dozens and dozens and dozens of times through our study, the word gospel, uh, through the book of Romans. If you come to who we call it 52 weeks out of the year, 52 weeks out of the year, you're going to hear the gospel, guaranteed. If you're here for the first time, who we call it, welcome. I hope you love the gospel. If you don't, you're going to, or you're going to be sick of it, one of the two. Those are the only two options you get. Because we preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ every single Sunday. You know why? Because the Bible says, Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, it's the power of God unto salvation. I want the power of God on this church, and it comes through the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Greek word euangelion is the, the Greek word that's used there. It's where we get our word for evangelize, evangelism, evangelist. Uh, it's where the, the category of evangelical comes from. Uh, sometimes people ask, is, is your church an evangelical church? I say, I don't really know particularly what that means. I know that we're a Bible-preaching, Bible born-again Christian church. And whatever category that puts us in, I don't really know, but that's what we are. And so, but that word evangelicalism comes from the word gospel, which literally means good news, good tidings, good message. And so when we think of the gospel as good news, uh, again, it's the heartbeat of everything that we do here at Huicala on your way out uh, by every single exit door. Uh, we have these invitation cards that we have. We went out into our community yesterday as a church uh, and hung these on people's front doors, uh, found people at bus stops, found people on the sidewalk, passed these out, 
tried to talk to people about our church, invited people to church. It's our invitation card we have on the back. Uh, incredibly handsome pastor, along with our service times, location, and church website. Uh, but here, here's the thing. Most important thing is on this card, and the reason why you should carry them everywhere you go is the gospel. Right? Right here. Five verses from the Bible. It breaks down like this. When I show the gospel to people, I usually go like this. Five things. First of all, God loves you. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Secondly, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thirdly, sin has a price that must be paid. That price is death and hell. The good news is, number four, Jesus paid that price for you. He died on your behalf. He took God's punishment on your behalf so that you could, fifthly, Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and be born again and be saved from your sin. And so if you'd be willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you could be saved. Simple as that. Every single one of those verses and your talking points are on the back of these cards. Keep them with you. Oh, I'd like to give you an invitation to church. Yeah, I don't really go to church. Okay, on the back of that, some verses from the Bible. It's just the Bible. Would you be willing to read that? Put some thought in that. It talks about how you can know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. Boom. That's the, that's the gospel. That's it. That's the message. I, I read a, a book several years ago. Uh, and again, for me, I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm constantly trying to grow. I want to be better at fulfilling my role as a Christian. And so I read a really good book about evangelism. And the, the author broke it down into four different categories. God, man, Jesus, response. God is righteous. He's holy. He's perfect. He's without sin. Man has rebelled against God, and man is full of sin, and man could not come to God if he wanted to because of his sin. So Jesus Christ came to pay the price and penalty of your sin so that you and I would have access to God, but you must personally make your own decision to come to Jesus Christ. I can't do that for you. If you'd be willing today to respond to the gospel in faith and repentance, you can be saved today. And so kind of a good way to break it up. Frankly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me how you share the gospel as long as you share the gospel. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which was preached unto you, which you have received and wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, which I received, how, get this, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So Christ died, why? For our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Again, you can't be a Christian. You cannot be saved without believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so again, we look at this and we say, that's the gospel. That's, that's the message that we have. And you might say, well, I'm not really good at that. I would say, great, I can help you practice. Well, that's not really my personality. That's not really who I am. Great. Jesus is all in the business of making people into things that they weren't before. That's like what he does. Well, I feel really uncomfortable about sharing my faith. I'm certain that the cross was uncomfortable for our Savior. But the least that you and I can do is tell people about it. I try not to be patronizing and condescending, but it just comes out sometimes, right? Hey, look, I get it. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You know, what, you know what I first started doing? I just first started, like, leaving it in, like, bathrooms, like, where you wash your hands, like, leave it in the bathroom. Like, oh, I'm be done with that. And, and 
wherever I could that was like big for me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was super nervous about talking to people. I'm still super nervous about talking to people, but I do it. But I wasn't even willing to do that. I'd leave it places. So I'd leave them at the ATM. I'd be pumping gas. A little thing where you flip up where you get the application for a credit card. I'd shove them down in there. I'd go to like Barnes & Noble and I'd open up all the Bibles and I'd shove them in there because I think like if you're buying a Bible, you're looking for truth and I want to put the truth in there for you. And like, like everything I could do to like not talk to somebody. <laughs> I heard a story about a lady one time on the mainland. She was like in her 70s. Uh, and she had gotten um, reprimanded by the security at Target because she was pulling shoes off the shelf and shoving them in the shoes and putting them back on the shelf. And I thought to myself, I like it. You know, it's like, okay. They told her not to do that anymore. And, but, uh, like, I love the boldness of it, you know. Uh, the idea, like, hey, I got to do something. Like, I don't know what I can do, but I'll do something. And, uh, and no lie, uh, we were uh, eating over at a restaurant over here at Ward uh, this is probably like six months or so ago. And we were, uh, we were really nice to our, to our waiter. We were kind to him, talking about it, talking to him. He said he was from Texas and uh, just moved out of here, had a friend that lived out here, just trying to get his feet under him, stuff like that. And I said, hey, if you get a chance, I said, I'd love to have you come check out our church. And, and so I handed him uh, an invitation to our church, one of these invitation cards. And he was just like, no way. And I go, what? He goes, you're the guy on the back of the card. And like, he hadn't even looked at it yet. I was just like, yeah, it's me. Uh, I said, I'm the pastor over there. He was just like, that's crazy. He said, no lie. Two days ago, I was in the bathroom here, and I was washing my hands, and there was an invitation card. He's like, did you put that there? And I go, wasn't me. He's just like, that's crazy. He's like, so when you pull it out, it's like, I've seen that before. And so he was like, that's awesome. And he didn't end up coming. And so neat, neat story. Did he say he didn't stay? But at the end of the day, he came. And that's the other thing, too, I think we get hung up to sometimes when it comes to sharing the gospel. Like, I don't have a lot of success. Friend, you are not the deal closer. You are simply the messenger. That's all. All you have to do is get the message. What they do with the message does not matter. That's not up to you. It's just up to you to make sure that they get the message. <laughs> like, think about it this way. Our, our, our postal service guy, I, um, I've, been, I've been talking to him forever, Tom. I, mean, I pray for Tom. Tom's not saved. Tom calls himself a Christian, and I told him he should come to our church, and he's just like, oh, pastor, I got a photo that's going to blow your mind. I was like, okay. And so he's an older guy, so he's looking around on his phone and stuff like that, and, you know, click on that right there, Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's where it's at. So he's clicking, scrolls through it, and he shows it to me, and it's a picture of him giving a lay to the Pope. And I was just like, that's incredible, man. When was this? Oh, it was two years ago or something like that, and I had the opportunity to go to the Vatican. Like, can you believe that? Have you ever been to the Vatican? <sighs> I haven't, Tom. Tom, let me give you an invitation to come to our church sometime. You know, oh, I go to my church every Sunday. That's great. Come to our church if you get a chance. On the back here, talks about how you can know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. And so I realized that moment that Tom, Tom's putting his faith in a church to get him to heaven, not putting his faith in Jesus. And so, uh, so here's the thing. What, at the end of the day, was that my fault that Tom didn't get saved? No, it's not my job to save him. It's just my job to give Tom the gospel. But here's what Tom does. Tom drops off packages. Do you know what Tom has never asked me? Like, hey, that box I dropped off last week, did you ever do anything with that? He doesn't care. He just dropped it off. Hey, that big Amazon box that I delivered last Christmas, you guys still using the stuff that was in that? He doesn't care. You know why? He has a job to drop stuff off and leave. That's it. He doesn't care what we do with it. We could take it out back and put it in the dumpster. He doesn't care. His job is just to be a messenger. Jesus said this, lest you think that it's our fault that people don't get saved. Jesus said this, 
you've got seed, okay? So you as a messenger, you're really a farmer, and it's your job to put out seed. And he says, the seed is, somebody help me, what's the seed? The Word of God, the Bible, the Gospel. It's your job to sow seed. And as you sow seed, it's going to find four different types of soil, ground. Only one of those is going to be really, really good. The other ones are going to be problematic. Some of them might look like they're going to sprout for a while, but the world comes and chokes them away, and others are going to be snatched away by the devil and things like that. But if you find some good soil, that's where fruit comes from. But here's the thing. You and I have no control whatsoever over soil. You and I have no control whatsoever over the conditions in which growth takes place. You and I simply have a whole bag full of seed. And unfortunately, many people don't ever stick their hand in the bag. They think like, they don't even give the seed a second thought. I, I just got to sow seed. If it finds good soil, great. If not, I'm just going to keep being obedient to what God's called me to. And so our job as messengers is just to put the word out. What you do with it, totally up to you. I think it's a bunch of junk. Okay, that's fine. Read through it if you get a chance. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you want more information, we'll talk with you about it. But at the end of the day, what you do with it, totally up to you because I'm just responsible for the delivery. And once it's been dropped off and you've signed for it, I step away and it's all yours. And then the Holy Spirit begins to do the work. Not up to you or I. We're just going to be faithful with the message. So I want to encourage you, keep sowing seed. Well, I don't see a lot of fruit. Keep sowing it anyways. Because here's the thing, get this. I know this is going to blow your mind. If you put out four seeds, your chance of growing fruit is fourfold, okay? If you back up a dump truck into 10 acres and spread seed out dump truck size, your opportunity for fruit is a lot more than fourfold talking hundreds and thousand fold and so basically the more seed you sow the more fruit that you'll see and so i'd encourage you just to be faithful and sow in the seed that's what we are we've received grace we've been saved by grace and we've been saved to be messengers but we're also saved to bring other people to jesus all this is in verse number five that's the thing i love about the bible is i didn't come up with like well here's four ways to be a solid christian this week no just read the bible the bible tells you how to be a solid christian verse number five take a look at it <laughs> by whom we have received grace an apostleship, messengership, if you will. For what reason? For obedience to the faith among all nations. So you and I are saved to bring other people to Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? Well, we first of all do that by sowing the seed for sure. But why do we are we called to be messengers? For obedience to the faith among all nations. So that the entire world would know and follow Jesus because of the way that we live our lives. So our lives should be characterized by a contagious faith. People should be drawn to Jesus by the way that you choose to live your life. Get this. And this should, this should weigh heavy on your shoulders, and I want it to. People will either be drawn to Christ because of the way that you live your life, or people will be repelled from Christ by the way that you live your life. There's really no in-between. You say, well, nobody really knows that I'm a Christian. <laughs> the second that they find out that you're a Christian, you haven't been living like a Christian, you will repel them from Christ. I think about this often. Like, if I told somebody, oh, yeah, I know 
Johnny, he goes to our church. Would people be like, oh, great. What kind of church is that? You're right. Like, I know that guy. Or it'd be like, oh, yeah, solid dude. That's the type of church I would want to be a part of. And I often tell people, and sometimes I'm joking, sometimes I'm not. Uh, and again, I, I can be sarcastic and passive-aggressive sometimes. But I say things like this, like, hey, if you're not going to live like a real Christian, don't tell people you go to Huikala. That, that just hurts the body of Christ, you know? And you parked at a strip club with a Huikala sticker on the back of your truck. Like, that's embarrassing. You know, you're going to be out with, with the boys slamming beers on the weekend and wearing a, a Huikala t-shirt. No, thank you. We'll pass on that. Live like a real Christian if you're going to call yourself that. Well, I won't call myself a Christian. Then maybe you're not a Christian. I know so many people want to be undercover Christians. Well, I want to, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want people to know. You know what Jesus said about that? You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And you say, well, if I'm saved, Jesus wouldn't really deny me of of, of him before the Father, would he? Not if you're saved, but if you're really saved, you probably don't want to deny him. Just saying. If you're really legitimately biblically saved, that your your heart has been regenerated by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you don't want to keep that a secret and you're embarrassed that people would find out. That's all I know. I'm not trying to say whether you're saved or not. I'm saying whether there's fruit or not. But here's the thing. Here's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 8. I love this. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia. So in other words, all around you, not just in your city, but the, the areas around you, people heard about the gospel. But also in every place, your faith to God word is spread abro- abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So like when Paul went places and he'd say, hey, I was just at Thessalonica last week and people were like, oh man, have you heard about what God's doing there? Like man, their faith is like off the charts. And he said, we didn't even have to say anything about your faith because they already knew. And he said, everywhere we went, people already knew how solid your faith was. Oh, did you know that Johnny goes to our church? Yeah, he talks about it nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> He's always making plates of cookies and bringing gospel tracts on the top of them, and he's got the little flyer up in his cubicle at work. He's always inviting people to church. And he's got the T-shirt, and he's always got the sticker on his car. Like He's a Jesus guy. Yeah, everybody knows. Good. That's the way it should be. And again, things like T-shirts and stickers like that is just an opportunity to have a conversation piece to talk about your faith. Because at the end of the day, I want to live a life that draws people to Christ. Hey, look, the unsaved person, all they have to do is flip on the news and hear about the latest church implosion of some pastor who's done terrible, awful, dastardly deeds, Christians who have acted like non-Christians, people who have been ugly and unkind, and that categorizes Christianity, and that's shameful. We need some Christians who will be willing to say, uh-uh, not on my Savior's name, I'm going to make Jesus look good. I'm going to do what I can to draw people to Christ. I talked with one of our guys yesterday. He had a situation that come up that something had happened. It was an accident. This person was willing to pay, you know, for the whatever had been broken. And so he said, well, here's the price of what it took. And, and they're like, oh, well, I didn't know it was going to be that expensive, so I'll only pay half. He said, what should I do? I said, you should tell him, hey, I'm a Christian. Whatever you think is fair, I trust you. He was like, 
ooh, I like that. I'm just trying to make Jesus look good. Hey, I'm willing to be gracious because I've received grace. I'm willing to be kind because I've been shown kindness. I'm willing to show love because I've been shown love. And I want to live a life that draws people to Christ, not like, oh, that guy's a Christian. I knew that's why he did that. What a jerk. Mm-mm, not on my watch. So I want us to live a life where when people find out that they're a Christian, they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that, no doubt. And we need to understand, you might say again, like, oh, I don't know that I'm that type of person. I don't have a charismatic personality. I don't have the, you know, the go-getter mentality and stuff like that. That's just not me. Here's the good news. The power isn't in you. The power is in the gospel. The power is in the word. It's not a matter of how good you and I are, not how gifted we are or personality type. It's not about us. It's about the gospel. That's where the power resides. And so somebody, again, well-meaning Christian a couple years ago sent me an, uh, an email saying, oh, did you see this news article? Kanye West says that he got saved and he's a Christian now and he's going to put out a Christian album. And what do you think this will do for the cause of Christ? And I said, absolutely nothing. Well, that's a terrible thing to say. Hey, look, do you think that God was sitting up in he- heaven and going just like, hey, angels, gather around. We got Kanye. And like, wow, catch Christian album coming out like this is the moment we've been waiting for no if somebody got legitimately saved Kanye West or or your your five-year-old kid the angels rejoiced in heaven for it for sure but God wasn't waiting to unleash his blessing and power upon the earth until a celebrity got saved and again I haven't done enough study to find out whether the guy saved or not but if he was it would be shown by fruit of repentance righteousness holiness there would be spiritual fruit that's there. And I don't know if any of that exists or not because, frankly, at the end of the day, I don't care because the, the, the power is not found in a person or personality. It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. That's where the power is found, not in you or I or how good we are, how smart we are, how much people like us. And at the end of the day, if you're being nice to people because you want them to like you, you've missed the point of the gospel. I am being Christ-like to people because I want them to love Jesus. Frankly, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to get a bunch of friends. I don't need buddies. I don't need people to hang out with. I don't need people that like me. I don't want people to follow me on social media and talk about what a great person I am and, and, and to give fake thumbs up on the internet about the stuff that I post. I don't need that in my life. I just want people to love Jesus. Because here's the thing. It's not about me. It's all about him. I'm just a conduit. I'm just a messenger. Like, I have never gone out and high-fived Tom. Tom, that Amazon package you bought yesterday was off the chain, man. High-five, Tom. No. I paid for that. Tom just delivered it. You don't thank the messenger. You thank the giver of the gift, right? So at the end of the day, please understand we're not trying to draw people us. This is not how to win friends and influence people, okay? It's not about manipulation tactics so that people will will be drawn to your personality. And again, if you have a desire to have an inflated personality, that's pride, it's a sin, and that's the anti-gospel, okay? I want people to love Jesus, and I want to treat people like Jesus treated people. I want to be gracious, I want to be loving, I want to be kind, and I want people to be drawn to Jesus because they see in me love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And if they see things in, in my life like that, they're going to be like, hey, that thing that you've got, like, that's what I need. That's what I want. Not like, oh, you got a new car. That's the one that I wanted to. Please. That's not impressive. You know what is impressive to God? The man that prays with his kids before he puts them down at night. You know what's impressive to God? The mom that's up in the middle of the night praying over her kids. That impresses God. And so again, I want to live a life that is Christ-like. I want the nations to come to obedience because of the way that I live my life. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, <coughs> verse number 25. And him that has the power to establish according to the gospel, the preaching of Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept in secret since the world began, but now is made, made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets and according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known unto all nations for the obedience of the faith. Okay, the gospel used to be a secret in the Old Testament, when they were killing goats and, and sheep on the Day of Atonement, they're thinking like, what is the deal here? We got to do this once a year to, to pay for our sins, I guess. That was a mystery. Now, it's made known to everybody that Jesus Christ died for sinners and he's the only hope that you have for this life and the next. That's the good stuff. And we're saved, again, verse number five, by whom we received grace, apostleship, for the obedience among, of, to the faith among all nations, and finally, for his name. Now, I know there's just three words there, but you need to understand that we're saved for the glory of God. Let me help you with something. Everything in life, from eternity past to eternity future, and everything in between exists for one purpose, and that is the glory of God above everything else. Now, the good news is this, that we're the beneficiaries of God's grace, but we're saved to exalt his name even higher. And so again, when we think about the glory of God, the glory of God existed before God ever even created the first thing. He always was. And when he created the angels, he created the angels to praise his name and to give worship to him and lift his glory even higher. When God created, God created for his glory. We're the, just the beneficiaries of God's glory. When we see the sunrise in the morning, it's beautiful. We look and we say, wow, what a beautiful place that we live. Yes, that sunrise exists for the glory of God. When we see a, uh, a sunset, it exists for the glory of God. When, I, I say this, and, and people who don't have children laugh, they think I'm making a joke, but it's not a joke. For your moms here today, the first time you held your child, you understood what it was like to be like God. Like you understood God better. Not that you were God-like or anything like that, but that, that you understood God better. You saw something that was helpless without you, you saw something that could provide nothing for you. Something that, especially in the early days and sometimes even in the later days, causes nothing but heartache and drama for you. That steals your sleep, that steals your food, that causes problems in your life. But what? But what do you do? You love it. You can't help but love it. Why? Because it's yours. And then you're like, wait a minute. I see how God sees me. 
I create nothing but problems for him. I disobey time and time again. I'm, I, I bring nothing to the table of worth, but he loves me because I belong to him. And we understand the character of God a little bit better, of unconditional love for somebody who can't love you back. But even holding your child and understanding the character of God is an opportunity for you to recognize the glory of God. So even things like childbirth is a picture of the glory of God. Even things like marriage, get this, marriage. It's a picture of what? Christ's love for the church, which gives the Father glory. It's all about the glory of God. And so while we are saved and we get eternal life, yes. While we're saved and we get adoption to the family of God, yes. While we're saved and we don't have to go to hell, yes. While we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, yes. Please mistake, none of that was primarily for your benefit. It was primarily for the glory of God. Does that make sense? And so, again, we have to be careful, even the, the, the types of even Christian music that we listen to, again, um, there's a phase that, that went through Christianity and churches in the late 80s, early 90s when I was coming up as a kid that was very me-focused Christianity. We'd sing songs like, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. That Like while Jesus was on the cross and was in suffering and pain, he just couldn't stop thinking about me. You know, that if, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on the front door of it. You know, if God had a wallet, every time he pulled it out, he would be showing everybody your picture because of how much he loves you. You know, if God has a cell phone, your picture's on the lock screen, you know. Uh, all those things. Is it helpful to understand that God loves you? Yes, but please understand, you are not the center of God's universe. God is the center of God's universe. Always has been, always will be. And you get the benefit from that, again, because he's gracious. But please don't mistake for a split second that it's all about God's glory. Somebody talked to me a few weeks ago about, uh, about a song that, again, was popular when I was in high school by Michael W. Smith called Above All. Uh, they talk about, oh, this would be, be a beautiful song to sing it at Easter. And, and the, the words of the chorus are this, crucified, laid behind a stone, you live to die, rejected and alone. Like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Like, you look at that and go, wow, that's awesome. You know, that Jesus was willing to die on my behalf. Yes, that's good. But really, let's break that down for a second. Is the primary thought on Christ's mind as he sacrificed his life, me? He's just in agonizing pain, enduring the wrath of God, thinking about how much I love Anthony King. No, he was thinking about the glory of the Father, guaranteed. Again, you and I get the trickle-down benefits of that. We get secondary auxiliary benefits of that. But the primary goal of Christ's death upon the cross, yes, was the Savior of mankind for the sake of the Father's name, though. Again, we take a look at the Old Testament, Israel. Why did God choose Israel? Is it because they were the strongest, because they were the best? No, because they were nobodies that Abraham and his wife were barren. They couldn't even have kids. So God says, let me take you and build something great from you so that people know that I can take nothing and turn it into something incredible only because I am me. And so God says time and time again, I'm gonna do this for my namesake. And there came a time where God was so furious with Israel that he was gonna wipe them off the face of the planet and start over. And Moses went to God and says, God, if you wipe us all out, you'd be totally right to do it. But think about your testimony. 
And God said, I will spare your life for my name's sake. Not because you deserve it. You deserve wrath and annihilation. But I will spare you because I want my name to be made great. And so again, we've got to look back and, and, at this thing and say, hey, it's all about the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 10, Paul says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey, look, a couple of things. First of all, there's coming a day when everyone will bow, whether you like it or not, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God prefers that you do it voluntarily before you die, that you would be born again by confessing your faith in Christ as Savior. But if he can't get that, he'll get it when you die. And there's coming a day when every knee, whether you like it or not, will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's not the end of verse number 11 in Philippians chapter 2. And that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why will everyone bow their knee to Christ and confess that he is Lord? Because that's where God will be glorified. So again, everything circles back to the glory of God. Everything. And so... John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 12, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. So again, I'm a beneficiary of, of the glory of God. I'm a beneficiary of the grace of God. But please understand, when it comes to life and the world, it's not about me and I'm not the center of the universe. God and his glory are. And so again, that's a perspective shift for a lot of people, even Christians today. Where she's like, oh, come to church, you'll find what you need. Well, what, what do you need? How can we help? It's all about you. Uh, Jesus died to make your life better so that you'll have a better week at work this week and things like that. Hey, yeah, I get it. You follow God in obedience that you're going to get his blessings for sure, but the, the whole purpose of all that is the, the glory of God. Always has to come back to the glory of God. So final thoughts today. Questions we need to ask ourselves. Big question from the very beginning. Am I saved. Has there been a time, a date, a place in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior, where you confessed your sin before God, where you received and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If not, if you're trusting in your baptism, if you're trusting in your church membership, if you're trusting in being a really good dude or a really good gal, you, you, you're falling short 100% of the time. If you believe that you're going to heaven because your mom told you that you were, or your grandpa said that you were, you are not saved. You will only be saved by confessing your faith by choice yourself in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the question is, are you saved? If not, you need to be saved today. Not about joining our church or becoming a Baptist or going through a religious process. It's about making sure that things are right between you and God because if you're not saved, things are far from right. But secondly, if you're saved, are you sharing the gospel Again, I'm not talking about are you knocking on people's front door and saying, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's not what I'm talking about. Now, do we go out to our community and try to strike up gospel conversations with people? Yeah. Do we leave things on people's front doors with invitations to church? Sure. Do we find people at a bus stop and say, hey, do you have a minute that I could give this to you? Do we try to strike up conversations for the purpose of turning them to the gospel? Definitely. But sharing the gospel might just be talking to one of your coworkers and saying, hey, I go to church on the weekends. Would you be willing to come with me one weekend? Maybe grab lunch afterwards and hang out. Hey, I'd love for you to, to, to visit our church. I think you meet a lot of nice people. Hey, I heard you're going through a rough spot. Can I pray with you? I'll tell you one of the things that's made a difference in my life is, is when I started following Jesus. Man, so many opportunities you have to share your faith. 
And, and please understand, if you're a Christian today, you've been saved or born again, somebody along the way was charged with giving the gospel to you, and it worked. And you might say, well, my parents, uh, I grew up in, in a Christian home. Good, then you got a responsibility to get it to your kids. But again, all of us, if you're a child of God, are messengers. And the, here's the thing. When it comes to sharing the gospel, you're going to be either obedient or disobedient. There's no gray areas, no middle ground. There's no kind of obedience. You're either obedient or disobedient. Next, does my life bring others to Jesus? Are people drawn to Christ or repelled from Christ based on the way that I live my life? It's huge. And God forbid that any Christian in this room would live a life that pushed people away from the gospel. And let me just tell you this, since it's Mother's Day, parents, you have a grave responsibility to your children to point them to Christ time and time and time again. And dropping them off for an hour and a half on Sunday morning does not cut the mustard. You're going to have to take it a step up. And again, your children will either be drawn to Christ as adults because of what you placed in them, what you invested in them, or they will be repelled from Christ based on your hypocrisy. The choice is totally yours to make. And you might say, well, my kids are a little bit older, my kids are grown, I think I've already messed up. There's never, it's never too late to turn it around. There's always time. As long as God's still on the throne, there's still opportunity that you have to make things right. So I want to encourage you to do that. But does your life draw people to Christ? You know, again, so many times I struggle with, with Christians whose lives are not even rebellious against God. They're just apathetic towards God. They, they have no joy. And I always tell people that joy is like that check engine light on your car. You know, my check engine light came on in my, on my car this past week. And so I'm driving down the freeway on H1 and it comes on. I'm just like, ah, you know, there's no gauges to tell you anything. It's just a light. You know, it, could, it could mean that I left my gas cap unscrewed. It could mean that my transmission's about to fall out the bottom and it's hanging on by one bolt. You know, what? I don't know. It's just something's wrong somewhere. And so I'm super hyper aware of everything, paying attention, I turn the radio down, listen to every, every bump and squeak and things like that, try to figure things out. And I drive it home and got the little tool, plug it in and look, and it's like some sensor that deals with the oxygen and fuel ratio mixture and like the third exhaust chamber. It's like, what the world? It's like, this means absolutely nothing. It's like, if this happens, you know, there's a $900 sensor you can repair or you can just clear your check engine light. Oh, clear, <laughs> done, you know. Not a big deal, right? When you don't have joy as a Christian in your heart, your check engine light's on. It might be something really simple. You might have got a crummy night's sleep and you didn't read your Bible this morning and your check engine light's on, but you need to fix it. That's easy. Clear, clear the light and keep on moving, doing what you're supposed to do. But some of you... You have no joy because your soul's rotting from the inside out due to anger, bitterness, sin, lack of repentance. And your sin is destroying you from the inside out. And dude, like your engine's about to blow up. And you're just like ignoring the warning signs. And so Christians without joy, there's always a problem there. But here's the thing. When you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, People gravitate towards that. You know why? Because in the depths of their souls, it's what they crave. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. That's what their soul craves, and they see it in you, and it's just like, yes, that's what I want. Nobody wants to be angry 
ugly, unkind, hate their spouse, hate their kids, hate their life, hate their job. Nobody wants that. And Christians that live like that aren't living the best life, put it that way. Finally, does my life give glory to God? If, if again, the whole purpose of existence is to glorify God, are you doing it? Revelation chapter 4.11 says that for this reason, the glory of God, were all things created and are created. Everything in the world that's created is created for the glory of God. And if you're not glorifying God, you're missing your purpose. This is why you were created to glorify God. And if you don't do it, you're going to be like, what am I even here for? What's the meaning behind all this? What is the meaning of life? You'll be asking yourself those questions because you haven't fulfilled your purpose. And if we're not living our purpose, we'll struggle to find meaning in life, bottom line. If, if you're a Christian not living for the glory of God, you're missing it. You're missing out on the good life. You're missing out on the good stuff. I, I tell people that are, are not fulfilling their purpose, you're like, you're like a spork. You're not really a spoon. You're not really a fork. But, you know, you can kind of eat the mashed potatoes and gravy from KFC with it, right? Kind of. But, like, if you ever had to, like, get the plastic knife that they give you underneath the spork, you can't do it because you can't get down far enough to get under it. And it's just like, this is a mess of a utensil, right? Like, it gets you by, but it's not really what you want. And I had a deep thought this morning in the 8 o'clock service. It came to me. Uh, here, here it is. Deep thoughts with Pastor Anthony. Are you ready for it? You never buy a set of flatware for your kitchen that contains a spork. Think about that for a second. Like when you go to buy flatware, like knives and spoons and forks, they got those, like, the different size forks. I don't even understand it. I don't want to see a salad fork, but nobody eats that much salad, okay? But like, you don't order, you don't buy a set of those and get a spork with it. You know why? Because it's useless. It doesn't fulfill a real purpose. It's not even a real thing. And so, like, a Christian that doesn't live for the glory of God, it's just like, oh, what, are you, what are you doing? It's not really a thing. You're not fulfilling a purpose. You're just kind of like, I guess we could possibly use it for this. So I would challenge you with this. Live for the glory of God. Stephen Covey, uh, who's not a Christian, he was a Mormon, uh, wrote a lot of really good books about productivity and things like that. But he made a statement that, that I read 15 years ago I've never been able to let go of. And it was this. People spend their entire lives climbing a ladder only to get to the top and realize that it's leaned against the wrong building. And I thought to myself, that's Christians who try to live for something other than the glory of God. Oh, you want a nice house and a nice car and the esteem of your colleagues? Yeah, you get that. And you're like, okay, what's next? A nicer car, a bigger house, more esteem? No, there's nothing there. You get to the top and you realize this wasn't what I wanted to begin with. You need to find your purpose and your purpose is the glory of God. And here's the awesome part about that. You don't have to do the glory of God the exact same way that I do. It's different for everybody. Not everybody's gonna be a pastor. Every one of us can be a solid Christian though. You're gonna go to your workplace where I don't have any authority or influence whatsoever. And you get the opportunity there to draw people to Christ that I would never possibly get the opportunity to. Why? Again, because you're living for the glory of God where you are. That's the idea behind it. But here's the thing. I had the opportunity to talk with the students at, at Hawaii Baptist Academy uh, two weeks ago, a sophomore class, right after lunch on suicide and depression. 
If you, if you guys remember, I spoke on that here about an hour and a half in length. They said, you have 25 minutes. So I was like, what? And so like, I tried to like boil everything out down to 25 minutes. And no lie, like when I said amen after I prayed, like the bell rang. Like I was on time for the first time ever in my life. Uh, and so, but I was talking to them. I was talking to them about trying to put their life together without Jesus. Trying to be mentally and emotionally well without Jesus. It's like trying to bake chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips. Like it, it, it doesn't work. And when you try to take chocolate chip cookies and you don't have chocolate chips so you just try to throw something else in there it doesn't work like whoever thought it was a good idea to put raisins in cookies and make them look like chocolate chip cookies like they definitely weren't saved i'll tell you that much for sure (laughs) that's that's deceit that's deception and the bible says the devil's a liar and like it's just like those cookies are satanic like who thought that was a great idea to bite into cookies and get raisins right but here's the thing, when you take the chocolate chips out of a chocolate chip cookie, you got nothing left of any real value, do you? You take Jesus Christ out of life, you have nothing of value. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're not saved, you need to be saved so that you'll find what life is all about. And Christian, if you're here today and you try to take your chocolate chip cookies and pick the chocolate chips out so that it won't be offensive or so you can do what you want to do, please understand you're missing the best part of life, which is Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to live for the glory of God this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.